0: And welcome to Optimizing Your Imaging Approach for the COVID 19 Fight, a Health Systems CIO Media Inc. production sponsored by Highland Healthcare. Just a little housekeeping before we get started. My name is Anthony Guerra, I'm the editor in chief of Health Systems CIO, and I will be your moderator today. We've got some interactive features we're going to be taking advantage of today. Um, questions and comments, you can send them in in that Q&A box at any time. We'll take them later in the, pl- the program. Uh, we have a quick audience poll we are do later, and you can download the deck by using the URL on your screen, and it's been sent out in the chat box. Just so you see how we're going to spend our time today, we're going to go about 35 minutes with our main panel discussion featuring... Joseph Marion, Principal with Healthcare Integration Strategies. Brandon Taggart, Founder and Principal Consultant with Confidi Healthcare IT Consulting. And Chris Magyar, Senior Product Manager, Enterprise Medical Imaging with Highland. So let's jump right into our discussion. Joe, let's start with you. Can you give me an overview of your organization and your role?
1: Sure. I've been in healthcare for 40 plus years. I've spent 20-some uh, years with a uh, uh, major equipment vendor in imaging and uh, have been on my own for 20-plus years in terms of um, consulting and starting with PACs and emerging into enterprise imaging, uh, addressing both radiology, cardiology, and all of the in some instances. Uh, so that's pretty much it.
0: Very good, Joe. Thank you. Brandon?
2: Hi, I'm Brandon Taggart. I'm founder and principal consultant of confiti Healthcare IT Consulting, our full service consulting firm that provides uh, strategic direction with regard to enterprise imaging, uh, anything from uh, assessment and discovery, RFPs, and implementation. Uh, my personal background, uh, I started out in the clinical realm, um, then came out of the clinical and actually went into uh, business world for a period of time in terms of commercial real estate, and then pulled back into the medical world to be a longtime consultant with Ascendian Healthcare IT Consulting. Um, from there, I, I worked my way up and uh, I've had a lot of great experiences, worked with a multitude of organizations, both on the clinical, uh, operational, and technical sites. Um, at this point in my career, um, I think I've seen a, a multitude of different things and uh, i like to be able to lend my experiences to those that I might be able to help.
0: And very good. We're looking forward to the discussion. Chris? Hi.
3: Oh. Uh, Chris Maguire. representing uh, Highland. Uh, Highlands is a leading content services provider for multiple industries, but in particular for healthcare. Uh, our solutions span a... Uh, All types of management capabilities for documents uh, about the patient or medical images of the patient, uh, including document management for back office solutions uh, for the healthcare enterprises. Uh, I got into this space as a software engineer by training. Uh, I've been involved in writing or using software uh, in some primary manner for probably well over 30 years. About 20 years ago, I got involved in enterprise imaging, developing some of the first vendor neutral archives, and have been since involved in all types of uh, enterprise imaging and radiology and all of the different specialties, produce everything from soup to nuts, uh, software, hardware, tools, workflow, integrations, you name it. Uh, My particular responsibility right now is product management for Highlands' enterprise imaging portfolio of products and solutions, which includes uh, technologies for uh, image acquisition and workflow, uh, storage, management, uh, viewing, workflow orchestration, etc. Very good. Thank
0: you, Chris. Well, I have no doubt we have three of the most knowledgeable people you will find around medical imaging and dealing with moving to an enterprise approach, which we're going to discuss today. So we're going to be very topical and timely right now. So Brandon, let's start with you. Talk about the impact you think COVID-19 is having on health systems from an imaging point of view.
2: Well, from an imaging point of view, um, it's, it's, it's really the fact that we're having to operate in a remote environment at this point. Um, a lot of radiologists are being uh, sequestered to their homes and, and having to read remotely. Uh, for the organizations that have already prepared for this, um for the most part, it's business as usual, um, but there's a few caveats there that become kind of problematic. Um, mammography comes to be one of them, in which most organizations have not set up uh, appropriate um, parameters to be able to read mammography. Uh, there's also FDA MQ- MQSA guidelines that they have to follow. So those, those things become complicated and end up making... Um, of a a sacrificial lamb, if you will, of some of the radiologists that do need to actually go in and be physically present. Um, Luckily, uh, luckily and not luckily, um, due to the COVID-19, a lot of those procedures, especially with mammography and outpatient procedures, have dropped drastically in terms of volumes. Um, That has had a huge health uh, or huge impact on not only imaging, but health systems as a whole in terms of the revenue. Um, That is causing some major impacts and affecting the ability to staff effectively. Um, So there is this this calm before the storm with a multitude of organizations. We hear about San Francisco. We hear about New York and the fact that it is obviously they're they're inundated at this point. But we also have all those other communities and even rural communities in which they haven't been hit yet. And in terms of the effects on them, it's those lowered um, revenues, those lowered um, volumes that are really affecting them and they're they're saying they're wondering well how do we effectively manage this do we cut back our staff um if we're waiting for the surge that's to come because all these patients are going to need to be safe so mm-hmm. those are those okay. are the major impacts that i'm seeing out there currently and it, it is a mixed bag depending on timeline of where they stand currently
0: very good chris
2: I think Brandon did an
3: excellent job of describing that. Uh, We're looking at our existing customers uh, that have implemented our solutions to deal with some of the challenges that are coming up. Uh, The first one that Brandon Brandon mentions is the remote reading challenge. And that's sort of a really interesting technical puzzle, and we'll drill into that in in some more depth here in a moment. Uh, another interesting thing that we're seeing coming up is the increased use of point-of-care ultrasound for COVID-19 uh, early assessment and the the notion of dragging a patient into your uh, CT room to get a scan. It's, a, it's an expensive process. You risk contamination. It may be completely appropriate for somebody who's got uh, an advanced uh, acute respiratory distress syndrome going on, but uh, I think that ultrasound workflow is interesting as well. So those really trying to figure out how we go to our existing customers who may have invested in our technology uh, from a clinical review enterprise yield perspective, but perhaps not leveraged all of the diagnostic or particularly remote reading diagnostic capabilities. How do we help them in that transition Uh, for those that, for example, may have invested in content services and not medical imaging at all. Uh, they may be struggling with issues with their existing medical imaging solutions and enabling that remote read, and there's, there's a lot of interesting reasons for that. Uh, so how can we help them? And then we're also trying to reach out and say, you know, how can we help net new uh, customers who do not actually have relationships with Highland today who are solving with these problems? Uh, can we accelerate their path to addressing that? Remote read problem or the ultrasound uh, acquisition workflow problem. So we really have prioritized heavily across many departments inside of Highland. You know, how do we how do we come up with solutions that will help healthcare customers deal with this more quickly and effectively?
0: Very good, Chris. Thank you. Uh, Joe, your thoughts.
1: Uh, It's hard to follow those two eloquent uh, uh, comments. I think that uh, I would just add that uh, the key is going to be the widespread accessibility. So uh, having the uh, resources and capability to to, uh, tie people in from remote locations uh, and share information uh, is going to tax uh, hospital systems. Uh, particularly in terms of interoperability. So I think that uh, the challenge is to make sure that uh, the information that is acquired on any COVID patient is certainly available uh, to the clinical staff, whether they're on-site or off-site.
0: All right. Very good. Next question. Uh, Chris, let's start with you. We talk about the concept of an enterprise imaging approach. First, I think we should define that. So I'd like each of you to, before you answer the question, to give us a high level definition of what that means to have an enterprise imaging approach. Do you think those, and we'll have the poll on this later, do you think those who have been moving in that direction are better equipped to deal with the current crisis?
3: Well, I'd say absolutely. Because it's the current require the current crisis is requiring organizations to deliver solutions for scenarios and workflows that they didn't necessarily anticipate. So, if you've invested in more flexible enterprise imaging infrastructure, you're better positioned to move quickly to dealing with those those unpredictable demands. And we talk about well, what do you, what do we mean by enterprise imaging infrastructure? But you have to contrast it with the traditional investments. Uh, obviously, we have a lot of image acquisition devices out there. And in the more established imaging specialties like radiology, uh, we have uh, we have workflows. We have uh, order based workflows. We have hack systems. We have modality work lists. Uh, we have storage and management capabilities. There's uh, abilities to integrate with the EMR, but they're all very simple. They don't necessarily scale well outside of radiology. And the further you go out towards the the edge specialties, the more likely you're gonna move from a a departmental specialty imaging system that may not integrate well with the enterprise to just free-floating acquisition devices that aren't integrated into any kind of meaningful workflow or capture mechanism. So organizations that have invested in enterprise imaging, uh, they may have an enterprise mechanism for dealing with uh, order and encounter based workflow in any specialty. They may have storage and management capabilities for their medical imaging that spans all of their specialties and all of their facilities. Uh, they may have viewing capabilities that span all of the above that are integrated nicely in with their EMR. So you basically get a single view of the comprehensive patient imaging record. Uh, organizations that have done this, and I didn't even get into infrastructure, but that have made those investments can look at the kind of demands that we just put on the table and move much more quickly to delivering solutions for that. Very good, Joe.
1: I think one of the major challenges that we all face is uh, the definition of enterprise imaging. And I think that's been one of the major uh, stumbling blocks is that there is no um, widespread, I guess, acceptance of a common enterprise imaging definition. So it can mean anything from tying a few image services together to all the way to uh, the the full implementation uh, across all imaging services. And I think that the challenge is uh, the drivers uh, for what's uh, what's. Uh, pushing healthcare institutions in terms of implementation. Uh, so there's a lot of different and varying opinions on that, uh, but the challenge is always uh, finding a justification for a, a true enterprise uh, scale solution. So uh, avoiding uh, duplication and replication I think is also uh, paramount to making that happen.
0: Brandon does the industry need a, an adoption model they've got they're, they're out there for other things EMR adoption models different things have been put out by different industry organization organizations does, does would that be helpful for somebody to come up with that
2: I, I think anytime you you have a level of standardization it's going to be helpful to make things a little more um, cookie cutter obviously in terms of deployment and easing the the complexities that come with that. The other thing that you might end up doing as a, a collateral damage, though, is is causing some stifling of of potential innovation mm-hmm. and, and other products out there. Um, I, I, I do want to hit on. I, I think Joe had a good point in terms of enterprise imaging and and the fact that it's not always always well defined. Uh, I'd say I, in, in this context, I'd lend my own definition, especially with regard to COVID nineteen, and that is enterprise imaging, um, I think in the general context, we should probably look at it as uh, really consolidation uh, of imaging data and ensuring that we actually have image availability uh, across an enterprise or anything that is pertinent for diagnosis or even clinical reference. So the problem that we face is in terms of the organizations that had not been moving in that direction thus far, they're now reaching, um, they're, they're now seeing the pains from that in which those who had a good strategy, that image availability is there. They've either migrated and consolidated or they've federated the data and everything is there that they need to um, diagnose appropriately in terms of pertinent priors. Uh, when you start talking about other organizations that have not prepared for this, um, it's very hard right now because the mobility, um, the amount of staff they have, and moving things around, even if we're talking still about antiquated workflows of utilizing CDs and DVDs, uh, that becomes very problematic right now. Um, we're noticing less less FTEs and then still having these manual processes that are very um, FTE intensive. So in terms of cost savings and getting towards a true enterprise imaging strategy, um, which be in my mind inclusive of image exchange as well. I think those basic things um, really either set up an organization well or set them up for some major uh, deficits right now.
0: Uh, I'm no clinician, but uh, from what I understand of the situation, it is. Would we describe this as an imaging intensive condition? I mean, we see the lung scans. So, uh, but those are, are those all coming out of radiology. So they're not being taken here, there, and everywhere in the health system. Um, what are your thoughts on that, Chris, as far as you understand uh, you know, actually what's going on on the ground?
3: I can think about, let's take let's imaging. I'll, I'll pick on ultrasound as a good example of where we're gonna challenge this thing. Um, if I've got patients scattered all over the hospital in areas where I'm segregating my, my COVID-19 patients from other areas in the hospital, and I'm doing imaging, I'm bringing imaging to them, Mm-hmm. You know, portable ultrasound devices are very attractive relative to a cart, relative to dragging somebody to a, you know, a CT scanner or something like that down and down in radiology. Um, so then you have to ask yourself, great, uh, these organizations we're seeing by requests for significant numbers of these ultra portable ultrasound devices, how is that integrated into radiology? Are you doing an order for every one of those things? Are those devices... DICOM enabled so they can do a DICOM store out? Are the DICOM modality work list enabled? Can I query a work list from an order that probably doesn't exist to get patient demographics and procedure information? Can I put it together and store it and save that so it becomes part of that medical record and accessible to uh, any other physician, teacher in the, in the treatment of patients? We see you know how they're changing over time. So I think you know kind of the traditional radiology model is being stretched. And if I just focus on that point-of-care ultrasound space, uh, it's it's bringing the same uh, encounter-based point-of-care ultrasound problems that you see outside of radiology are now being faced as the by the enterprise as a whole. You want to think about it as, as radiology, and it may be covered under radiology, but are they really well-positioned to deal with it?
0: Joe, any thoughts on that, Joe?
1: Yeah, I. I agree with everything that's been said but i think that we also have to uh, sort of uh, keep in mind the fact that some of the greatest benefit from going to an enterprise solution may uh, result outside of the classical imaging areas of radiology cardiology etc so it may not be in the context of uh, covid uh, as much uh, of an issue but certainly uh, areas such as wound care management and uh, pathology, and some of these other areas, are going to become much more intensive, and uh, probably benefit much more uh, in terms of an enterprise <coughs> solution uh, compared to, say, radiology and cardiology. Yeah, I think I'm about... Oh,
0: go ahead, Chris. Let go me,
1: ahead,
3: Chris. Yeah, I hop in here just. You look at these other departments and the problem is they don't have any infrastructure. So they're using imaging. They're using ultrasounds. They're using cameras. They're using video capture. They're using anything they need to do to image. But are they associating that with the patient data? Are they storing it? Are they managing it? How are they exchanging it? Yeah, I mean, Brandon mentions image exchange. Are they texting images to each other, putting them on thumb drives and passing them around? You know, how many violations of our PHI standards and our organizational information management standards. I mean, you know, we've joked for years about this being the wild wild west outside of radiology and cardiology. Um, It's ugly out there. And I think situations like we're facing now uh, uh, with this pandemic are just kind of uh, it shines a light on things in a way that you can't just sweep it under the covers and pretend it's not going on.
2: I, I would agree with you, I would agree with you fully, Chris. I, I, I think, I mean, we we work with, um, you know, some of the most educated individuals being clinicians um, in the sense that if they need to do something to treat their patients, they're gonna get very creative. This this has been going on for a while. Uh, and if if an organization is not adapting with them and providing them with viable solutions, they will find a way to work around that and get what they need. And chances are, they're not thinking about security protocols. In fact, I can guarantee you they're not. They're just trying to get what they need at the time that they need it. And yes, they'll take pictures with their iPhones. They'll exchange that around. And that's very problematic. We, we absolutely don't want to um, fall off the wagon, if you would, in terms of our security protocols because of, of these type of situations in which we're really scurrying to exchange information around. So it is very important to have that strategy, um, to understand how that's going to be accomplished. And even still, um, if if organizations were not set up with this previously, this is if if not perfect, you know, it's it's a forced time to have that conversation. Uh, I think I think there's there's no way around it. Um, in terms of if we're worried about cost benefit analysis, it's it's a, it's a slam dunk. It's not a hard thing to calculate.
0: Very good. All right. Next question. Uh, Many health system employees, including clinicians are working remotely whenever possible. What are the unique challenges involved with allowing radiologists to read images from home? Uh, Let's go with Joe.
1: This, this has been a raging question for years. And I think that uh, what it comes down to uh, today is uh, display quality and resolution as well as bandwidth. Uh, And certainly uh, things are much better than they used to be, but the other aspect I think of that is also security. So if it's using systems that require uh, transmission of uh, patient data, uh, that does open up the, uh, the whole can of worms in the context of uh, security aspects uh, that are going to need to be addressed or at least uh, in the context of remote reading, uh, making sure that uh, that information is handled correctly. I think also there's the unwritten uh, issue in the context of how do you maintain uh, those remote read capabilities. Uh, so I, I'm always reminded of the instance where uh, IT has been delegated to support those people, uh, which may or may not mean that the equipment that's being used is being provided by the hospital or it's the uh, radiologist's own uh, equipment. Uh, But in either case, if IT is expected to support them, uh, one has to be very sensitive to uh, uh, addressing those people's needs uh, either by doing it completely remotely, uh, or how do you send personnel out to those radiologist homes uh, to maintain those equipment? Uh, so I think there's a lot of issues uh, that have to be addressed to do it correctly uh, and uh, and expeditiously.
0: Mm, not easy, uh, Brandon.
2: I would agree with Joe. I think he hit a lot of really good points in terms of the challenges we face. I mean, it. it goes down to you usually have a, a multitude of scenarios in terms of what's going on with your remote remote workstations, remote readers. Um, did you set up a, a true strategy and standard from the get-go in which the organization provides all of their own image devices? Um, that's expensive. That doesn't always happen. That's not always an option. So if that's not, it creates some, some issues, whereas a lot of uh, information security officers do not want to provide VPN access direct from an unknown device coming into their network that creates uh, potential vulnerabilities. Um, and what I would say to that is is, is when these VPNs are set up, oops, I thought I lost the camera there. Uh, when these VPNs are set up, uh, really wanna make sure that um, they're locked down, that they're not open to the entire um, network of the organization because that could introduce some other uh, vulnerabilities there from an information security perspective as well. I think that's it's probably the most important thing to, to be concerned with right now, because when we have times like this, uh, unfortunately, there are individuals and groups out there that take advantage, and we want to make sure that we're staying protected with our, our secure information.
0: Chris, Joe and Brandon both mentioning security as one of the big, uh, issues and, and managing the whole situation. The organization has to, sounds like it has to really decide how committed it's going to be to standing something like this up. And there's a significant amount of investment involved on uh, a lot of people's parts. So your thoughts.
3: Um, I'll, I'll, I'm going to get kind of concrete about some of this stuff. Cause I mean, if, if the organization did it in the past, and they're set up for remote reading, that's one thing. But I think the majority of organizations are not set up for their entire radiologist workforce to read remotely. And when you start looking at the deals, you know, okay, what kind of what kind of PCs do they have at home? Are they on, you know, are they on uh, IBM and Macintosh? Uh, what's the CPU speed? Is this an old machine from way back? It, you know, a laptop? What kind of memory do they have on this thing? What's the requirements of the application, the the, the packs workstation software is being installed do they have the appropriate monitors what operating system are they running are they running a supported version of windows for example uh, what does their home networking look like are they hardwired are they wireless is it running well uh, what's the provider bandwidth and latency on this thing uh, we mentioned the vpn uh, do they have an appropriate place in the house to read from i mean how many people are you seeing working from home right now with their You know, families and kids and dogs running through because there's not a good spot in the house to do it. Um, You get into, um, what about the the libraries that need to be installed? Supporting libraries for software. The, The radiology workstation application itself. Does the facility have the bandwidth to push full DICOM current studies and relevant priors over their existing network all these radiologists are now at home. Well, we've seen that come up again where the facilities, some, some invested uh, in networking infrastructure in advance, some are tapped. They have more people working at home. They're already pegging the ability to get that data out onto the WAN, uh, into the cloud, onto the, the desktops of the people working remotely. And now you're going to add uh, a radiology load on top of that. Uh, it, it may simply not be feasible for them. And that's where, you know, other things start looking at other approaches for dealing with this Um, uh, cloud models, server side rendering models, things that change the rules in some way from the traditional kind of uh, heavy radiology workstation client. And then you also have to think about integrations. Um, You know, how are you driving your work list? Is your work list running remotely too and you're launching that uh, application on a local desktop? Uh, What about your dictation? Is your dictation system also installed locally? Are you using a cloud-based dictation system? How are you, how are you going to deal with that? So when you go and you deal with, okay, in a hurry, solve all these problems for a significant <laughs> number of radiologists that are, you know, need to work at home, you know, on top of everything else you're dealing right now. Um, my argument is if you didn't do it in advance, doing it with your traditional client radiology workstation and dealing with all those challenges maybe a non-starter you got to change the rules in some way and i'll have some suggestions on how to change the rules but i'm just going to say this is a weighty problem
1: anthony one one other thing that uh, never really gets addressed but there's the whole liability question as well so if it is expected to support these people Uh, How do you deal with the IT person that goes out to support the radiologist, and uh, he doesn't happen to be home, but his 14-year-old daughter is at home? So there's a lot of those kinds of risks, that uh, case studies, examples that have been uh, presented that I think also have to be addressed in in terms of how are you going to support those people remotely. Yep,
0: yep. It's a big bowl of worms uh, that you open up. Um, well, and Chris, uh, this is, uh, your point doing it in a hurry. So I'm going to let Brandon start off, but, um, you know, Chris laid it out there. How long does it take to do it in a hurry? Is it, is it even feasible? Is there low hanging fruit here, uh, that you can do to, to put people because there's a correlation here between what you can do remotely, um, and your volumes in terms of your dollars, right? So if I can't do any of this stuff, I'm not getting paid for any of this stuff. But if I can figure out a way to to do it remotely, I know I can keep my cash flow going as a health system, and I can treat patients better because you talk about all these things that are being canceled and put off. There's going to be a clinical price to pay here. There's going to be people that needed that now, and, yeah, we put it off because it was quote-unquote elective, but there's different degrees of elective, right? My mother needs her hip done. Uh, She was supposed to in incredible pain. So that's probably gonna be put off. How elective is that when you're suffering a lot? So just your general thoughts there on getting something going in a hurry for all the reasons, the clinical reasons and the financial reasons.
2: Yeah, Anthony, to your points, the the question, I mean, if if we're answering answering it simply, uh, can it be done in a hurry? Yes. Can it be done in a hurry and be done well? Probably not. So if, if you weren't already prepared for these scenarios, Uh, to Chris's points, to Joe's points. If you're not already prepared, if you don't already have an enterprise imaging strategy that you've deployed with remote capabilities, um, you're still stuck at square one and you still need to go through that process in order to establish these things. Just because we have an emergency situation doesn't mean that you're magically going to be able to stand up an enterprise imaging system faster. Um, You Mm -hmm. still have to go through the due diligence and the process of doing it appropriately. Now, I would say, to those organizations that aren't set up properly if you need to do something in a hurry because it's an emergent type item yes there are some options that you can deploy in the interim to allow you to be able to function remotely will it be pretty will the workflows be good no but it'll be at least something that you can survive off of but that also means that you need to start the process of thinking forward in the future and start developing that enterprise imaging strategy now not waiting and i think that's that's really the key point here
0: it's uh, almost like, Chris, almost like a, a wake-up call. Would, would, would you describe this as perhaps a wake-up call for organizations that say, all right, we dragged our feet with this. We could have really used it now. It would have really helped us. But we're going to make sure this doesn't happen the next time around. So we're going to start this process. I don't know what can be done quickly to get them going now for this crisis, as Brandon was saying. Maybe there's something you can do, but it won't be pretty. But you can start strategizing longer term and say, next time around, we're not going to be in this position your
3: thoughts there's I, I mean both need to be considered there's what can be done in the present and if you change the game a little bit there are things that can be done in the present they're not pretty as Brandon says but they can be effective and I think it's absolutely time for the wake-up call I mean enterprise imaging is one of those things that some organizations get it and they're they have a defined enterprise imaging strategy they're executing on it they define their governance they have a budgeting model they have yeah, identified uh, specialties that are, are going to be kind of the, the leaders in this, this space. Um, and others are absolutely, I mean, just kicking that can down the road, milking out their existing imaging solutions, continuing to invest in point, point you know, specialty solutions, and just thinking the whole thing is going to go away, which it's not. Um, and I think like with the DIAM model coming up, there is models defining for what, what you should be doing in this in a multi-stage model. Um, I won't get into that here, but um, let, me, let me let me jump ahead. But in terms of what can be done, I think the, the notions of what can be done boil down to changing the rules in some way. So one of the current rules of medical imaging, diagnostic medical imaging, is the vast majority of solutions are using a model where I have to push a full DICOM study and relevant priors to a workstation where I'm going to render those images on that radiologist workstation and display them. And that whole architecture makes this problem of a remote read really hard to solve. And if you wanna solve that in a hurry, uh, my suggestion would be, don't use that architecture. There are alternate architectures. And the one I'll I'll, I'll propose here, and I'll disclaim: we have a solution that does this. So don't don't think I'm not a biased uh, point of view on this, but I think this is a, a fair realistic assessment. If I can do the work, the server side rendering work in my data center, I can push those images to say a virtual machine in my data center where I do the rendering work that would have occurred on the radiologist desktop and then I HTTPS stream that data to a browser, any browser on any device, sitting on uh, whatever that, that radiologist is running, Mac, PC, whatever, and I have some appropriate monitors glass to look at that on, I've just made the problem vastly easier to solve. If I take it one step further, and this is a plus minus situation, if I do the rendering in the cloud, right? Now I don't really have that dependency to set up VMs and whatnot inside the data center of the organization, but I've created the problem that I still need to push those DICOM studies from on-premise into the cloud where they can be rendered and served to the radiologists. So I think the way of making this easier from a radiologist perspective is, uh, while it can be done, uh, the notion of using the traditional client-side rendering model and pushing full studies out there, if you haven't prepared for this thing, and that's the model you're trying to use, I think you're in trouble. Joe,
0: that's a lot to react to there.
1: Sorry. I, I, I would express it in this way. I would say that I think there's a major differentiation in the context of uh talking about utilizing existing diagnostic systems such as a radiology PACS uh to address just the radiologist as opposed to if you're on a path for a real enterprise scale solution then you probably have had to look at the question of how do I uh interoperate imaging with uh the EMR and I think that that's that's a key aspect in the sense that if you have image-enabled your EHR, uh, then you do have a mechanism to present some level of imaging uh, to a broad range of clinicians, and that that's a, more of a true enterprise uh, issue than, uh, say, allowing a radiologist or a cardiologist to view images in their home. So I, I think that uh, from a rapid deployment perspective or whatever, if, Uh, the hospital has addressed uh, integration with the EHR, then it does present an opportunity for at least some capability of presenting image to clinicians uh, external to the facility uh, and that that may be uh, a more valuable uh, long-term aspect than just being able to provide the clinician the diagnostician uh, with their PAC system uh, in their home. So th- there is that differentiation and it's it's going to be a question of where do people uh, find the best bang for the buck.
0: Brandon, uh, you want to react to anything Chris or, or Joe said?
2: I, th- I think they, they both have really good points. I mean, it, it, what it comes down to is, is what was stated earlier. is you, If you don't have the strategy already there, there are a multitude of solutions out there um chris touched on it in terms of uh, a streaming viewer i mean it's it's night and day if we're talking about antiquated uh, traditional tax architecture yeah you're going to have some major limitations in terms of the size of the data sets you're trying to move across the network it's it's going to be problematic strategies that can be deployed um, the question is do you already have them in place and and what is it that you want to do long-term? If we're just patching, um, it's kind of an interesting patch strategy to, to go with in the interim. I, I think you wanna make sure you're, you're thinking it through in terms of the long-term uh, benefits as well.
0: All right, very good. Um, Joe, let me get this one over to you. What are the roles AI and clinical decision support might play in terms of diagnosing and treating COVID-19?
1: I think there's some emerging uh, capability there. There's been uh, a lot of press that I've seen lately that would suggest that uh, being able to uh, use AI to analyze um, uh, chest films uh, probably has some merit in terms of detecting uh, COVID. So I think that certainly AI AI is going to play a role uh, in terms of diagnosis. Uh, And then in terms of uh, clinical decision support, uh, probably not as big of an impact at this juncture, given that perhaps uh, portable ultrasound and uh, uh, regular chest X-ray may be more valuable at this point. Uh, There's been a lot of controversy in the context of uh, suggesting whether CT is appropriate for COVID diagnosis. Uh, so uh, the, the clinical decision support is probably going to apply more towards uh, the high-end imaging devices like CT and MRI than some of these other areas. Uh, but there may be some uh, benefit to be derived in the context of some of the rule sets <clears throat> developing or emerging uh, in support of um, uh, COVID diagnosis. Uh, also, i, I suggest that uh, the whole notion of AI and uh, clinical decision support may have more value outside of uh, the classical imaging areas than inside. Uh, So uh, one facility that I've uh, uh, conversed with has uh, made the point that uh, presenting an AI analyzed image to a radiologist uh, 10 minutes before he reads the film is not going to be as cost-effective or Uh, as valuable as uh, using AI to assess um, uh, wound care and uh, imaging and um, prescribing uh, antibiotics to address it quickly. Uh, So uh, I think there are opportunities uh, for AI and uh, clinical decision support, but they need to be done within... uh, the context of a true enterprise-scale solution.
3: Very good. Chris,
0: any thoughts on that?
3: Yeah, I think this is kind of an interesting space because there's a lot of AI vendors that are all trying to apply their technologies to this space and come up with some useful stuff. Um, I'll pick one particular example that we're working with. Um, We have a partner that we licensed some of our Image analysis segmentation capabilities too. That develops a a lung product that um, basically uses artificial intelligence and machine learning to uh, analyze uh, chest CTS and come up with all kinds of interesting uh, views, topographical NPRs, quantitative analysis, uh, uh, looking at different segments of the lungs and the level of compromise and whatnot. And you can you can use some basic DICOM integrations to send, say, a CT series. They do their magic, and they create some results. They create some images. They create some reports. kind of the same model that you see with a lot of these AI algorithms. And they're trying to figure out how to leverage their existing capabilities and apply it in the COVID-19 era. And I have no idea how fast or how effective that's going to be. That's really outside my career of expertise. Um, but kind of from a longer term, this is not an immediate term thing. But one of the things that has got us thinking is, is what would it mean to do a you know tighter integrations of this class of product into the viewing technology? So, uh, really giving a more intimate, um, rich set of tools to radiologists and pulmonologists who can leverage this type of uh, these type of algorithms, the the imaging results, the the navigational capabilities, looking at these things, looking through, I don't know, lung fly-throughs, looking at the airways next to the vasculature, uh, looking at the quantitative analysis, measuring various aspects of this thing. If we can give them, if we can leverage these tools and give radiologists, pulmonologists better, richer tools, um, then maybe they'll be, well, in general, these tools tend to make people faster at reading uh, they tend to give better quality results. I'm going to grossly generalize on a, on a bunch of different results. But if you look at how this AI maps to things, speed to read, quality of read, and the ability to detect things that are less common or rare are three recurring themes that I see as key benefits of AI and machine learning algorithms well applied to this space. Whether that's going to pan out for COVID-19, whether CT is appropriate, whether it's the vendor I'm talking about and any number of uh, other vendors are going to be effective in the timeframes required, I'm not sure. I'm hopeful, but I'm not sure. Brandon,
2: I think I think Joe and Chris hit on some really good points. Um, in terms of AI, uh, there's a multitude of algorithms, obviously, being developed right now to to try to attack this. Um, the the question is, is timing. I mean, I, I really hope that it, it is a, a good exercise, but a wasted effort in the fact that we're able to pull ourselves out of this before those things even come to fruition to be able to assist us. Um, I think clinical decision support, as, as Joe alluded to, is, is definitely going to probably play more of a key factor in terms of making sure we're appropriate, appropriately triaging uh, patients based off of infection. Um, in terms of the screen techniques, I mean, we have chest, C- or chest X-ray as, as our basic, and then we also have point-of-care ultrasound. Um, the beauty that comes with, say, point-of-care ultrasound is there's less stuff to clean. Um, when we put a patient into a CT room, if we don't have a designated CT scanner or a facility doesn't have multiple CT scanners, um, you're having to clean that room each time to make sure that you're not potentially exposing other patients. That is an incredibly inefficient workflow. And any place that has a CT scanner and the multitudes, uh, I mean, they're they're usually running that scanner 24-7 depending on the size of the facility. Uh, so having an interruption like that becomes very problematic in terms of being able to serve enough patients uh, appropriately. So if you can use other screening mechanisms to try to triage, uh, I think that especially with less cleanup, that, that provides some, uh, some value there. Um, but I'd be interested to see what happens. I, I hope, obviously, people continue to and companies continue to develop um, things that will help us uh, in the future to detect other things um, as they come up if we have any other pandemic situations. I think this is all a learning lesson right now. But um, in terms of the role right now, I, I think it's it's very hard to say.
0: All right. Very good. I want to quickly get out our audience poll, which is going to be launched right now. I can get our panelists to vote as well. Uh, organizations that have moved towards an enterprise imaging approach have been in a better position to deal with the COVID-19 pandemic. So uh, record your votes. I think I know what our panelists are going to say, but uh, let's all... Let's all vote, and then we'll take a look at that. Uh, we don't have too much time left, but I do want to get to our Ask a Co-panelist feature. I want to start with Chris. Um, please go ahead and ask your co-panelists
3: a question. Sure. Uh, Brandon or Joe, either one? Um, in terms of the, I mean,
0: you can put it to both,
3: both. Are, yep. both of you. <laughs> in terms of uh, organizations, in terms of their their preparedness or lack of preparedness, uh, for this COVID-19, can you give me the kind of uh, uh, concrete characteristics of things that maybe they did that put them in a better position, or things that they failed to do that is making their life a lot more difficult right now? I'll, Joe, I'll, you want me to fire on Go
1: ahead, ahead, Joe. I, I think that uh, one of the key aspects in in terms of uh, their response, as well as uh, the whole question of enterprise imaging is in the context of governance. So facilities have to put together uh, a, a governing organization or a committee, if you will, uh, that addresses all of the imaging needs uh, and uh, make sure that there's proper representation on that uh, so that there aren't areas that are being overlooked. And I think that uh, if a facility has had some level of governance and an ability to address IT uh, issues in that context, that they're going to be better positioned to deal with emergencies such as COVID. Brandon, you can chime in.
2: I, I think you hit the number one item uh, on the, on the head. Obviously, if you don't have the appropriate representation from the get go, um, you're, you're not going to get very far. Uh, the the other is is decision-making Decision in terms of what that steering committee or governance committee decides upon, um, you think about what type of technology they're utilizing. Um, so if they're going with the traditional PACS model, which still happens to this day, it might be appropriate for some organizations um, up until this point of realizing the need for some, some more uh, robust remote capabilities uh, that may change their approach going forward. So I think, in terms of being prepared, um, you know, it, it comes down to number one after governance is probably network infrastructure, depending on the solutions that are being deployed.
0: All right, very good, Chris. We've got our poll results in. You want to take a guess before I share them at the breakdown? Percentage. Give
3: me a percentage, Chris. Come on. <laughs> You're the people who would be attending this type of thing, I'm going to guess probably about an 80 or 90 percent minimum. Agree 80 for
0: 90 percent agree. Well, let's share the results 94 <laughs> percent. Yay, Chris! Well done. You get a prize, <laughs> it's in the mail. Just kidding. Um, very good, Chris. I'm going to give you an opportunity for any final thoughts and then we're going to wrap it. So, uh, anything you want to leave the audience with? Uh, any uh just your thoughts they're going to be on the gamut from people who listen to this farther along to to nowhere at all to everywhere in the middle so any kind of general advice to give them on this on this topic
3: uh you know the general advice is if you don't have an enterprise imaging strategy and governance in place right now you need to really rethink this um i think Tactically, and I'm, I'm going to say this obviously for the benefit of, of, of my company, but more importantly for the benefit of overall, we're actually working on a solution that we can make available to our customers and to uh, not necessarily Highland customers, any customer, a mechanism that can help solve the problem of reading at home or capturing ultrasounds and making sure that you're getting good quality metadata and storing that in whatever your repository of choice is. We're trying to figure out ways within the enterprise imaging space in Highland of uh, giving you tools that can be quickly implemented to address this problem. So if that's a problem that you're, you're facing and you're, you're interested in hearing what we have to say, please reach out to us and, and we'll see what we can do for you. Um, and we're just trying to, you know, at the end of the day, I don't, I don't want this to be sound commercial. We want to do the right thing first, right? We're all affected by this. I'm personally affected by it. I've got challenges in my family where all of this stuff is, is having a material impact on my life. Uh, I would really like us all to think hard about what we can do to, to make this a better situation.
0: Very good, Chris. Uh, well said. Well said. All right. That's about we had, all we had time for today. Regarding continuing education, you can use our final slide in this deck uh, for your CEU needs. You'll receive an email when the on-demand recording has been posted to our YouTube channel and to Highland's partner channel that they have with us. Uh, if you'd like to sponsor an upcoming, one of our upcoming events or book a custom event, you could reach out to Nancy Wilcox from our team, and you could go to our site to view to register for our scheduled upcoming webinars. With that, I want to thank our panel. Uh, brilliant folks, uh, some of the best imaging minds you're going to find, Joe Marion, Brandon Taggart and Chris Magyar, And I wanna thank Highland Healthcare very much for making this conversation possible. I wanna thank you for attending. So with that, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you.